0: Hey, everybody, this is Hollywood special effects artist Joe Castro, and you're listening
1: to the Walter Paisley Movie House. Welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, where we celebrate the little engines that could not. I am your host, Dylan Rory, and our music is by Jonathan Harmon. We are brought to you in part by our partner sponsor, Scarlet Lane Brewing. With five locations in the Indianapolis area, there are plenty of opportunities to try the official beer of horror. Today's guest is an actor and writer who has worked with some of the most revered filmmakers of the last 50 years. But that's not why he's on this show. He's also appeared in some of the most iconic and beloved cult movies of all time. When he wasn't busy rubbing elbows with the likes of John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, Michelle Pfeiffer, David Naughton, John Travolta, Matthew Broderick, Olivia Newton-John, and some guy named Steven Spielberg, he was working with cult legends like, big breath here, (laughs) Paul Rubens, Maureen Teefy, Willie Ames, Robert J. Rosenthal, Brink Stevens, Terry Kaiser, Jules Shepard, Morna Luft, Murray Hamilton, Christopher Lee, Charles Band, Robert Stack, Nancy Allen, Stephen First, Rick Overton, Marsha Warfield, Rudy DeLuca, Tawny Cattain, Rip Taylor, Ginger Lynn, Colleen Camp, Mick Garris, Ruth Gordon, and former podcast guests Mark Pirro and Fred and Ray. Along with countless animated TV shows, he was featured in some of our favorite movies and shows, many of which have come up on this podcast before. Movies like Grease 2, Laser Blast, Mob Boss, Zapped, 1941, A Polish Vampire in Burbank, Delta Pi, Assault of the Killer Bimbos, The Weird Al Show, Midnight Madness, Teenage Exorcist, Beverly Hills Vamp, Hollywood Boulevard 2, Surf 2, and Critters 2, the main course. On top of all that, he's a renowned expert on the Beatles, the Marx Brothers, and the Three Stooges, and has written countless articles on them. Please welcome the man who was gonged by Paul Williams, scared by Andy Griffith, and who I personally consider a surrogate to Walter Paisley for his role as Walter in Holy, oh, yeah, Hollywood Boulevard 2. <laughs> Eddie Deason. Hi, Good Eddie, are how you, are Dylan? you? Good, how are you, doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. It's great did to I, be here. Did
0: I miss anything there? No, that was a mouthful, and you did it very good. One little flub at the end, but that you would be a great voiceover actor. You oh, did great. the whole thing perfect, not one flub until there was a little gap at the end, but it was, I mean, I would take that any day.
1: It, hey, great. I'll, no second take, then. I'm yeah. no no—I'm like, no like man Frank Sinatra,
0: dark. Like Frank Sinatra, one take. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he had that kind of pull. Yeah. So... I mean, obviously, there's a lot to talk about with you, Um, especially for a cult movie podcast. You're kind of an ideal guest. And I thank you so much for joining us here. Sure. Um, Let's go back a little, though. I'd like to hear a little bit. I've listened to a lot of interviews with you. I've read a lot of your stuff. But I'd like to hear a little bit about uh, your growing up and what kind of led you toward uh, going to Hollywood and starting to call studios asking if they wanted a funny guy. (laughs)
0: Okay. Yeah, that's that's a true story. But I grew up in a city called Cumberland, Maryland. My birthday's March 6, 1957. I just turned 66. But it was kind of like in those days, it was like a, a quaint little Mayberry town. We all pretty much knew each other. Uh, almost zero crime, you know, and it was a growing town in those days. It was, it was second to Baltimore. Nowadays, it's it's gone downhill a lot. It's got, I think it's not like 20,000 people. It's got, it's just got a lot shabbier in these days. But there's still a lot of nice people. I don't want to say anything bad about it. Um, I grew up. Yeah, I was always a class clown. It was instinctive in me, Bill. And uh, even as early as kindergarten, I was getting into trouble. The teacher would put me out and go. She'd go sit on the steps. The whole (laughs) class would be in the class. We would be like finger painting, and I'd put finger paints on my face. I'd do just crazy stuff. Even from those days when I was four years old, and she'd say, "Go sit on the steps," and I'd go sit on the stairway outside the room, so I was separated from the other students. So even as early as four or five years old, I was separated from the other kids. First grade, I was so hyperactive. My teacher, Miss Smith, she tied me in my chair with a jump rope. I was always, she couldn't control me. So she sat me down she tied me to my chair with a jump rope. The class was all laughing. I remember it was funny, but she was, I don't think she could control me. And um, yeah, I was just always in trouble. and I I was always clown. I always liked getting laughs. Uh, The other thing I remember from early on, from when I was six is liking girls. I like girls. I talked to other guys that started later, but I started liking girls when I was five or six. My first girl I had a crush on was named The Cool Girl. And at playtime in the first grade, we'd have, you know, you'd go to class. And then it was playtime, like at 11 or 12, you'd have lunch and playtime. And I'd go out and there was this beautiful blonde hair girl I can still see her beautiful golden hair. And she wheeled this kid in a wheelchair. He'd go there and me and my guys, it was like me and my gang. I was like Leo Gorsi, you know, with my gang. And we'd sit there and watch <laughs> the pool room. She'd wheel this guy across the yard and we'd watch her. And I remember the feeling, that beautiful feeling of being in love with a beautiful girl, the feeling that guys have, you know. I got that when I was six years old.
1: Wow! Did you have a local movie theater there that you'd go to? Yes,
0: we had two. The earliest one was the Strand Theater. I saw my earliest films there. Now, my earliest film, Dylan, was it might have been Cinderella. I was trying to think of it the other day. They asked, "What was your first? What was your earliest film?" Somebody asked on Facebook, and I think mine was Cinderella. But I know we go to the. um <clears throat> we go to all the elvis presley movies we go to all the new disney movies and i saw my first dean martin and jerry lewis film there was reissued partners so oh, any, yeah. of been, yeah, my, any of those might have been yeah any of those might have been my first film i remember clearly seeing viva las vegas you know we were all blown, blown over by elvis and mean, las vegas. yeah and really margaret cool. yeah <laughs> yeah and then hard days night my all-time favorite movie i saw at the strand that was my first film but it, to this day is still my favorite film in Cumberland, it was this little town, you know, way out in the sticks, way into nowhere. And I saw Hard Days Night at the Strand, and I saw Help at the uh, at the uh, what was it? oh the Center Theater. And even there, Dylan, it was screaming all through it. You wow. just looked at the screen; it was like unlike any films I've seen to this day. You watched it for a, for an hour and a half; it was just screaming. You'd see John and Paul and Ringo and George moving their lips, and, <laughs> and it was just constant screaming all through it. Was a, it was a surreal experience, and I'm sure everybody that saw those films in the sixties had the same experience
1: wow i (laughs) you know you hear about like the concerts and things and of course the famous sullivan show but in the movie the movie theaters too just loud screaming from the audience Yeah,
0: and i remember dylan watching on the sullivan show i remember when they came to the u.s and on friday that friday Mm -hmm. and we were talking and i clearly remember saying these i said one of them named george harrison we were like all getting familiar with who these four you know incredible guys were what was this all about and we looked at him and, you know, the long hair was fun. I remember the long hair was on American bands they put it on a few months earlier. And Dick Clark showed a picture. He goes, there's this band called the Beatles. And he showed their picture and the, the kids like giggled at it. They thought they were funny looking, you know, because mm-hmm. they had this long hair. Now, you know, it's like nothing. But in those days, that was a big deal having hair like that. Right. these Jokes, you know, they look like girls, you know which is a misnomer because the Beatles were these tough guys, you know, they, they into yeah. been to Hamburg, especially John Lennon. They were really these tough guys. They could really defend themselves. But in those days, there were all these jokes about the boys look like the girls.
1: Right. Yeah. There was that, uh, some reporter, I remember at, at reading where he'd asked them, you know, you, you have these haircuts that aren't very American and John went, well, we're British. Yeah, so, exactly. You know. Yeah. Who's your, who's your favorite Beatle? I always
0: liked John the best. I, I yep. wasn't, you know, I don't want to disparage anybody, but I wasn't crazy about Yoko and I didn't like that phase of his life, but I always liked John the best. I, I liked his songs the best. I thought he had, the. by the way, one of the weirdest things about John, this is the incredible irony. He disliked his voice. Mm-hmm. He didn't like his voice. Like he was John was the biggest egomaniac in the world. He thought yeah, he was
1: absolutely. Greatest,
0: <laughs> such and such. yeah, but he didn't like his voice. He had the greatest voice in the history of rock and roll, the greatest rock music voice ever. If you listen to his songs, what he sang, nobody had a voice like that. He was yeah. amazing. And to a lesser degree, I love Paul. I love John and Paul are always my two favorites. I love Paul. Do you want my Beatles stories now? Oh, sure. Why not? I touch Paul McCartney, uh, this is the first thing. John's the only, be- Paul is the only video be- advertised, excuse me. John, I never saw, unfortunately, but uh, I made contact with the other three. <clears throat> Paul, I saw him on the Tonight Show. I was doing the show, Punky Brewster at the time. Yep. And the star, one of the stars of the show was named George Gaines. He was this, this yeah. distinguished actor. Hello, Punky. Oh, gotta,
1: Punky, gotta, Punky. Hello, right there,
0: exactly, yeah, <laughs> Punky. That was George. And he was such a nice guy, he knew I was a Beatles fan and Paul was appearing on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. So he got me two tickets. So I took my oh, friend cool. John to that show. So we saw Paul there. You know, it was very surreal seeing Paul McCartney in person. Sure. He, you know, Paul's a delightful guy. He, he's just a sweet, magical, nice guy. That's where he differed from John. John was abrasive, and John liked to stir the pot a little bit. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Paul was on. <clears throat> and after the show, a bunch of us fans rushed outside. Of, who do we see? Paul McCartney's driving his car. He had a little sports car he'd probably rent, and he leaving the show. So we all ran around. We were surrounded Paul's car. And Paul's probably used to this, you know, after 40 years, he rolled down the window. Anyway, I touched him on the arm. I touched his shoulder. So I touched the beetle. Paul was the only beetle I ever touched (laughs) at that moment. Then he sped off. And this is the weird question, Dylan. I felt a weight crush my foot like an elephant. It smashed my foot. It felt like punch. I always think to this day, his car rode over my foot. It might have been like a person, but I don't know how a person could get that kind of weight because I never felt a weight like this on my body. I I didn't break, but it just drove over the very tip of my foot. But I think Paul McCartney drove over my foot in his car. You know, know, print the legend. Print the legend. Go with it. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I saw Ringo in concert and excuse me, I'm getting a sip of water. No, go ahead. I saw Ringo in concert. It was a beautiful moment because I went with my mom. This was like about five years ago. Mm -hmm. We were in Atlantic City and Ringo up here. And I don't know if he has of me, but Ringo was on stage. And I was yelling, hey, Ringo. And he said, somebody on that side of the room has got a high voice, got a very high voice. I think he was talking about me, but <laughs> I never know to this day <clears throat> if he was referring to me. Anyway, wow. my George story was one of my bucket list items, Dylan, was I always wanted to play Santa Claus. So one day we were hanging out at the Beverly Center Mall in uh, Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. And I was there and a lady came up to us. I swear to God, we were sitting there smoking cigars. You know, in those days, you could smoke cigars. Right. So this lady comes, she says, our Santa, this was at Christmas time. This was December 22nd, 1987. She said, our Santa Claus didn't show up. Would one of you guys be willing to play Santa Claus? So I practically jump out of my skin. I'm, me, me, I, I'll do it, I'll do it, sure. You know, I'm like the Polar Express kid. Me, 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 Santa. But I said, me. So they dressed me in a Santa suit. You know, I'm skinny. You know, I probably weighed like 110 pounds. Mm-hmm. They put a pillow around me and they tied it around my waist and I was Santa Claus. Big white beard, you know. What I realized, Dylan, that night is... Uh, how many kids are terrified of Santa Claus? You know, all the parents sure. would bring their kids there, and some kids write. But I would say at least fifty percent of the kids were absolutely scared out of their wits. <laughs> they were so. So I try to be real gentle, you know. that's, It's okay, honey. It's okay, sweetheart. Da da da. And they would come up there, you know. And they said the the management of mine. They said whatever you do, don't say. You can ask them what they want for Christmas, but whatever you don't say, I'll get it for you. Right. Because they could get in trouble. That would make (sighs) parents look bad if they couldn't give them that present. Right. But I'd have the kids up. I'd say, What would you like, Santa, to bring you for Christmas? Ho ho ho! You know. And they all told me their things, and it it was a beautiful night. Anyway, I was taking my break. I took my pillow off. You know, I was in my T-shirt, so I looked like an idiot. You know, I mean, I had Santa (laughs) pants and black boots. And I have a white t-shirt on. So I'm walking <laughs> around the Beverly Center. I look at the bookstore. They had a Barnes and Noble there. Who's coming out? George Harrison, I see coming out. Wow. He's got a book in his hand, which I never found out what the book was. And he got he's got these two big burly guys on each side. They're obviously bodyguards. Mm-hmm. So George walked out and I was too scared to say anything. I was too shy. And I, you know, I it, George put out these vibes of he wanted to be left alone. Whereas Paul McCartney puts out these slows, <clears throat> you know, I'm here, I want to talk to the world, it's it's okay, mm-hmm. talk to me. George was the first George could feel the arrows coming into him, you know, leave me alone. I'm a private man, and I knew that's how George was. He just he just wanted to be alone. So I didn't say anything, but I walked parallel with him the whole time. I was like jumping and bouncing the whole way. George walked the whole length of the Beverly center and I bounced parallel to him the whole way and these bodyguards. And he just walked out the door You know, I never did get to talk. I kind of regretted this day. I didn't just say, hi, George, how are you? You know, and I think he would have said hi or nodded to me. You know, I don't think he was a mean man. So he would have probably
1: acknowledged me. He's definitely he's my favorite Beatle. I I would have probably lost my shit, too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. Let me ask you, Dylan. Why did you like George Vest? I'm always curious.
1: Uh, He well, First off, he was I think he was the funniest. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and the work he did with uh, Neil Ennis and um, right. helping fund Monty Python's Life of Brian. I mean, he, he yeah. mortgaged his house to be able to, to get Life of Brian made, their most controversial film. And yeah. probably their funniest as far as I'm concerned. Um But also, uh, just kind of how he, um, what once they went to India, you could see how it changed him in a very positive way and uh stayed with him throughout his life um the meditation and and yeah. uh he was very centered um you know it's not many people who can bounce back from your wife uh fucking your best friend yeah. and you know he just rolled with life like that yeah um yeah. A very admirable way to live i think
0: very good That's very profound <sighs> i agree with you he had a very very he had a very droll dry wit
1: he liked yeah. that droll
0: kind of dry humor. In fact, as a matter of fact, it's a coincidence. We were watching his favorite film yesterday. Stevie and I were watching his favorite film. I the producers. Oh, that was George's favorite great movie. movie. Yeah. And yeah. That is a hilarious movie. We were busting up laughing. It was just <laughs> busting up laughing. It's it's such so a good funny. flick.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that
0: movie. That's where we got our first taste. Well, I guess Get Smart was, but that's where I got our first taste of movie Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks is yeah. brilliant writing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
1: I mean, down. and How, Kenneth Mars. And, I mean, it was yeah. just, it was full of so many great performances. Yeah, Kenny was
0: an old pal of mine. Kenny was a oh we really voiceover. We were voiceover guys. I, a lot of these old guys you love. We were voiceover pals at ICM. We were, I was at ICM okay. for twenty three years, twenty two years, and Kenny was there. I talked to him. And he was very, very nice, sweet guy. Great guy.
1: Oh, that's awesome! Well, I mean, yeah. did you ever go to, to work with them doing voice work, or you just we just paths? You know, I
0: don't want to say something untrue. We might have, Dylan, and I forgot about. Sure. It. We may have, but if I did it, it was flattering. I remember him. He was on. A, you, this is way back. Do you remember a show in the sixties called He and She? Paul Apprentice and Dick Benjamin. No, I'm Kenny aware of, it.
1: I know what it is. Yeah, yeah,
0: that was the first time I'd seen Kenny. He either did an appearance on it early, was a semi regular on it. But I, think is that Kenny where they
1: from, is that where Richard Benjamin and Paul Apprentice met. And got married or were yes, they married exactly when they right. did it. They okay. Married. Okay. Yeah.
0: And Andrew Hamilton was on it. Or Alexander, Andrew Hamilton, I don't think his name was, was on it. Another act character actor I worked with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I used to watch that when I was in the sixties, yeah. When I was in Wow. Those days. That's great. <laughs> Nine thirty <930 laughs> so, Tuesday nights. That, so. I remember all the shows. Tom Hanks and I would talk when I did folks. He's like a computer. We were talking all the shows We could not only remember the shows, the characters, but we can remember what time they were on and what day of the week they were on.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. I shows, guess, you know. know, I think that happens to all of us. Like I can, yeah. I, I was a 70s, 80s kid. So, yeah. you know, now, I knew when of Hazard was on and, and Knight Rider yeah. and those things. Yeah, like,
0: like now it's all mixed up. There's cables every, you know, we have like 500 yeah. channels and there's everything, every movie possible is on. But in those days we had the three channels, you mm-hmm. know, one local channel. So, you know, Get Smart, Saturday Night. Get Smart, I think was uh, 8 o'clock or 8.30 Saturday nights. But I remember Get Smart was, was Saturday nights And you just you remember all the Waltons was eight o'clock Thursday (laughs) nights like that. You remember all these
1: shows. Yeah, those those shows come up a lot, especially the 70s shows uh, They come up on here. And and my friends and I, I mean, just the other night we were talking about the the family shows, quote unquote, family shows. And in the 70s, you know, our parents would just park us in front of the TV and then go, you know, drink fuzzy navels with their friends yeah because it's exactly. family it's a family show so you know they'd be little house yeah. on the prairie do you remember the sylvia episode of little house on the prairie
0: no i gotta tell you <clears throat> the beautiful ladies I'm, I'm here saying with steven his beautiful wife denise she loves little house on the prairie i hated that show it's exactly. like my worst show it's like my worst show of all time i've never seen one episode whereas i love michael landon on bonanza bonanza yeah. was nine o'clock sundays i'd always watch bonanza until uh Pernell Roberts left. Then I thought right. jump the shark a little bit, but I love the original bonanza I one of my favorite westerns. But uh I used to watch that and I never liked Little House on the Prairie. What I did like is the Waltons. I love the Waltons. And that yeah. was a family show. Eight o'clock Thursdays. And I love That the was Waltons. another
1: one though. There was the episode with the the ghost and the the creepy doll. Um no, I don't remember. Elizabeth that. had the this, it was it was terrifying. Oh, it no, was I don't remember absolutely that. Absolutely terrifying when you're a kid watching
0: this. Interesting. Thing. That's in out of character. Well, we yeah. saw Stevie and I are nuts for Columbo. We watched oh, yeah. the Columbo. Oh yeah, great all the show. Time. And we we saw in a, when there was kind of uncharacteristic. It was kind of a creepy. When it wasn't a homicide, Columbo's were always homicide. He's yeah. a homicide detective. This one was about his niece getting kidnapped at a wedding, and she's held hostage, bound and gagged. was oh, like it was really who was it? Who Columbo. played his niece in that one? I'm trying he to remember. It was a girl we didn't know. We go has she ever done anything else? And we couldn't place her.
1: Because they always had so many character actors on that show. Yeah, they had
0: the old, and you Great see, list. like Leslie Nielsen, you know, before mm-hmm. the police gun movies, the police gun movie, Top Gun, you know, police. What is it? Police, police Squad. Top, police, police Squad, squad and then yeah. the, the Naked Gun. What's yeah, the movie they... called? The top, not Top Gun. Movies, naked gun? gun. Naked Gun, gun yeah. That's yeah. It. But he was, yeah, he was a very serious, <sighs> deadpan actor. Yep. And you see, you're right. You see all of the greats on there. Yeah. So yeah. many of the greats. <laughs> Robert Culp, who I always thought was a great actor. Was mm-hmm. did like three episodes. A lot of those
1: guys. Yeah, and Peter Falk. I mean, uh, oh, he nailed for, it. He nailed it. Did uh, he in, win
0: an Emmy for that? He he should have gotten Yeah, an Emmy.
1: he did. He did. Okay, and, yeah. Because he, they he would do them like they they shot him like little TV movies because he was mm-hmm. off doing real films and he'd come uh-huh. back and do these you know kind of periodically. So that it was never really a, a series so much as it was just these when they could get him they'd shoot one yeah. kind of thing. Is my understanding of it. We um, saw
0: a beautiful one with uh, Donald Pleasance, who did my oh. favorite. Are you a Twilight Zone, man?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, Twilight I figured, I figured Twilight Zone series. would come up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Twilight Zone is my all-time favorite series. And my favorite one is the where Donald Pleasance is a school teacher, mm-hmm. you know, where the students all come back and visit him. Yeah. Uh, that, that was the most beautiful episode. It makes me cry every time. Yeah. It's such a beautiful episode. Anyway, he plays a wine connoisseur on this Columbo episode. And Columbo gives him a little gift at the end. It was just the, the greatest, most beautiful TV. Cool. the columbos are so special they were
1: so well yeah. made it's uh and when you watch those you know i, I it it reminds you of peter falk's comic timing yeah I mean, it, it, in the in-laws which is one of my favorite movies of all I love time that movie. he and alan arkin in that yeah. i mean just watching alan arkin react to peter falk is yeah the funniest stuff i've ever seen yes yeah.
0: that movie is hilarious yeah
1: <laughs> it's a great one yeah. terrible terrible remake of it um but I didn't even see
0: the, the remake.
1: Who did the remake? Sadly, Albert Brooks and Michael Douglas, which I expected oh, okay. better of Albert Brooks. <laughs> but, right. You know, right. You gotta, you gotta sometimes, you know, pay the mortgage. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so you're growing up, you're watching obviously a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're getting ensconced in this this world of showbiz, you're you're a show off kid. At what point then did you say, you know what, I'm gonna go west?
0: You know what was a big turning point? I, I started watching these old movies we love. I started the, the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis films drove me crazy. I mm-hmm. I'd seen Jerry Lewis before, I remember seeing his films at the theater, but I never was overwhelmed. I just, you know, I laughed at everybody and I just moved on. But then they were one the, Their
1: live show was like supposedly. Oh god, the yeah, way this to see them. Those, yeah, yeah. This was long before those long before they
0: were available. Now you can see them on YouTube. Yeah. And they're unbelievable.
1: They're insane. Like, yeah, you so get the, good.
0: you get an idea they were like Beatles. They were like mm-hmm. comedy Beatles. They, yeah. They, the audience is just going berserk. <laughs> and how funny they were visually they were absolutely Jerry Lewis is just knocks he just knocks a home run yeah. every every time you see him they're killers but um watching those movies the Martin Jerry Lewis movies and uh watching the Marx brothers movies i'd seen that i saw um I, the re-release of Animal Crackers. I went to New York in '74 and I saw well, that. Steve Stoller
1: got that release. Steve
0: Stoller, yeah, yeah, Steve Stoller, who's a Facebook friend of mine. He's a wonderful guy, mm-hmm. and that really, I go, I want to do that. I saw the theater was going crazy, you know, the packed House going crazy, and I saw Harpo especially. I love Harpo Marks and yeah. I said, I want to do that. And uh, of course, I grew up loving the Three Stooges. Um, Curly Howard to me is the greatest comedian that ever lived. To so me, you're not a you're not
1: killer. a Joe Dorita guy.
0: Oh yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> curly to me is on par with chaplin keaton all the greats i think he's as good as any of them and remember curly was funny verbally too yeah which chaplin wasn't he was yeah. verbally and physically he was funny visually as good as chaplin and keaton mm-hmm. he was funny verbally as good as bob hope or any of the greats I he was keaton
1: one just, like when i was younger i loved curly yeah and then when i got older i started to really appreciate Shemp, and now i'm a Shemp oh. guy
0: yeah, well, you know what's funny? You say that, Dylan. I meet more and more Shemp fans, more and more every day. Yeah, every day I'll look on Facebook. Shemp's my man. I like Shemp. <laughs> Shemp Howard's my <laughs> hero. Yeah, I don't know. And I, I think Shemp was a great comedian. He definitely is a funny guy. You know, he made me laugh a lot. But Curly for me is, is my idol. Yeah, He's my, I get it. If you say who's your all-time favorite comedian, it is Curly Howard.
1: Nice. Yeah. yeah. And, okay, so so you're you're seeing all of that, and you decide to go west. You were saying around sixteen. You you. Started to really make the decision. That. Yeah. yeah. And then I don't
0: know if you read my Facebook post and then the big summer of 74, how $1 changed my life. Did you read that post?
1: I don't think I did. I this is how one
0: dollar changed my life. This is a true story. Seventy-four, I go to New York with my family for our family vacation. I was I was sixteen or seventeen years old. Probably I was seventeen, and I'd resolved I wanted to be a professional comedian. And there, you could either, you know, if you wanted to be a professional and get into the movies, you either go to New York or Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So because New York was so much closer to home, I go. I'm going to try my luck in New York. So we go to New York City, my family, and we're on a vacation. It was the most glorious vacation, Dylan. You know, the great meals in New York, the magic, the exhilaration, the streets in New York. You know, it's exhilarating. You just go on the streets. You smell New York and take it in, you know. And back then, and then New York
1: smelled. Yeah. But I loved it. It might have <laughs> oh, been that yeah.
0: but yeah, it smelled great. All the shops, you know, we went into all the shops, bought all these tchotchkes, you know. Dad would buy me little gifts, you know, uh, whatever, all these fun things. The magic in New York. We saw a Broadway show. I saw Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, nice. exhilarating. and we saw the re-release of Animal Crackers and I went, which I've only done to one other film in my life, I went four days in a row I literally went, I loved it so much I went four days in I saw the same nice. movie Animal Crackers and I was just rolling and exhilarating anyway, I was in love with New York I'm going to go here, so one night I went out for a walk, alone, without my family, it was, I believe it was night, but it might be day, I can't remember to this day if it was day or night, but I went out for a walk anyway, this guy stops me on the street, he goes hey man, can I give you a dollar to change I go, sure can I get change for it He said. What he, his exact words are? Uh, can I get a dollar if I give you change? He said something to that effect. Mm-hmm. So I, so I, of course I take out. I'm like sure, Mister, what harm? I give him a dollar. So he stands there looking at me. Go okay. Where's my change? I goes what? But why well, gave you my dollar? Where's my change? I goes you didn't give me no dollar. Go, no, no, I gave you a dollar. Where's my change? He stood there. He looked right through me. He's staring right through me. So I started to get a little scared. I started to get a little woozy. A little bit of me was angry, but it dawned on me, I'm being taken by a con man. Uh This guy's a con artist. Now, where I grew up in Tumberland, Maryland, we didn't have characters like this. This was a New York thing. This is a con artist. He probably conned hundreds of guys. Who knows? But he was a con man. So obviously, I couldn't try to get my dollar physically. I I Mm -hmm. was a skinny kid. I probably weighed 105 pounds. This guy was a grown man. So I kind of shakily walked away, and I blended in with the crowd and walked off. But I went back to my mom was incredibly shook up. This ruined my whole thing. New York had changed from this Garden of Eden, this beautiful palace, this wonderful, exhilarating, marvelous city to a crack hole. So right then and there, I said, I'm not going to go back to New York. I'm never going to go back. I'm going go to go and change my life. I'm going to change my life and go to Hollywood, change my decision, and go to Hollywood. And that was the turning point. Hmm. I made my decision. I moved to Hollywood the next year and I got Greece in two years. And that started the ball rolling and it changed my whole life. Yeah. But if this guy hadn't conned me out of that dollar, I would have gone to New York and believe me, it would have probably eaten me alive. I would have probably gone to New York. It would have probably been too rough for me. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have done a Broadway show. I'm not that talented and I could never remember all those lines gone on stage. I couldn't have, you know, what movie would I got in New York? Maybe I would have, but it wouldn't have been like Grease. You know, Grease, basically I left out. I started in this classic movie and I got roles out of it. But that guy, that con man, and he might still be alive nowadays. He might be dead, but he might still be probably this decrepit guy living in some decrepit motel. And this guy doesn't know. He changed my life. He probably seen one of my movies, but he'll never know who I was. You know, and this guy changed my life. And for that $1, my whole life was changed.
1: Huh? Wow. So, so you head West and was it one of those you're out there, you got a suitcase and you're getting off the bus. I got, yeah. yeah boy was i off the
0: bus i was as <laughs> green as a line. And by the way that guy who conned me he probably saw me come and he saw me i was as green as a lime. sure i was so good sure re- you alluded to it earlier i literally called the studios i yeah. call up paramount studios hi do you need a good comedian <laughs> it's a miracle <laughs> these women didn't hang up on me but they would say no that's okay or you have what, to what were through. the conversations and, like i remember one lady was nice she, mm-hmm. was nice. she was nice. She actually had compassion. She said, Oh, sweetheart, I'm sorry. No, we don't. You have to get an agent, you know, and blah, blah, blah. She was actually, I, it's a miracle. I remember none of them hung up on me. <laughs> I she was <laughs> the ladies would answer me and go, No, I'm sorry, we don't. Or, I'm sorry, we're very busy. Okay, bye. They were polite. They were all polite about me, you know. I don't know if they'd be as nice nowadays, but one lady was very compassionate. She said, "I'm sorry, honey, but you have to get an agent." And, you know, I, I didn't know how to get into Screen Actors And she said, "The procedure. no, it was a catch-22. You couldn't get into Screen Guild unless right. you get work, and you can't work unless you're in the guild." Yep. So it was a the old a SAG card 22. thing. Yeah, the old SAG card thing. It was hard. <laughs> now I got into. I did my first after thing. I did the Gong Show. Remember the old Gong Show? Oh yeah, 1976.
1: Yep. I you did can that. find I it on YouTube.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I got gonged <laughs> by Paul Williams, but that got me my card. And then when I got cast in Greece, they got me my SAG card. So that's how I left to get in. Now the gong show, the interesting story is Paul
1: Williams gong me. I
0: always do you remember the old singer Paul Williams? Oh, absolutely. Ever- yeah, absolutely. I'm actually gonna see him to at Ever-
1: a I'm gonna see him at a signing in a couple weeks.
0: Oh yeah. Tell him I said hi if you see him. I, I, will. I will. I'm planning later, on seeking him out. Yeah. Yeah, please. But anyway, he I, I went up to him, I saw him in an audition. This is like forty years later. Mm-hmm. And I'm there at an audition with him where it was a voiceover job and he happened to be sitting on the couch. He goes, hi, Mr. Wims, do you remember me? My, my name's Eddie Dees and you gong me on the gong show. And he said, I'm so sorry, I apologize. <laughs> he was very, he was very profound about it, very serious and solemn about it. Mm-hmm. I go, don't be silly. He goes, no, no, I apologize. Do you accept my apology? I go, of course I accepted Mr. Wims. I go, it wasn't that big deal. It was a lark. You gong me on the gong show. It was a funny show. He goes, you don't understand. I'm in, I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous. We have to apologize to anybody we may have hurt during our life. He goes, "I was an alcoholic in those days, and I'm sorry if I hurt you." Mm-hmm. And I assured him, you know, he hadn't hurt me, and all. We shook hands, and he was a very nice guy. But uh, yeah, tell him I said hi, and if he I even will. remembers me, but tell him I said hi, and tell him yes, I do forgive him for gonging me on the gong show. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, he takes that very seriously. Yeah, um, he's I've, very heard, serious him, I've about heard him. I've heard him talk. Uh, in, Rightly so. I mean, he was a mess. Yeah, I guess to
0: them, that's their form of religion. I guess that's like the religion. Pretty much, yeah. Because he sounded like it was his religion to him.
1: Yeah. I had uh, Butch Patrick on here, and and he was very open about his recovery process. Okay.
0: He's a very nice guy. I met him in a a signing show. He's a very nice guy.
1: Yeah. So how did? let's start with Greece. How did you get that?
0: Okay. Greece was uh, a big cattle call. Mm-hmm. I had an agent named Regina. She's not a very nice lady, but she did get me. Grease so I always over a debt. <clears throat> so I got going to go into Greece was a big cattle call. I remember it was a big auditorium, a huge warehouse room, gigantic room. All these guys, this was when Fonzie was rage, Henry Winkler in the fifties were really in right. thing. So there were all these guys decked out in, you know, leather jackets, white t-shirts. You know, maybe some guys with white teachers, they had cigarettes rolled up in their arms, you know, like, the, the you know, a cigarette pack rolled up in their arms. They used to do that. But anyway, I remember I was the only nerd there. I was the only geeky guy there. I guess Eugene was <laughs> not a big call. I don't know. But I was the only one there. So I went decked out. I had a little ice cream suit. And this is, I swear to God, I think Pee Wee Herman did get the idea for me for his character. But I had on a Pee Wee Herman ice cream white suit and white bucks. So I wormed in that audition. All the girls were there at the audition. They had poodle skirts, you know, and saddle shoes. Mm-hmm. This was very 50s. Anyway, I got called in. Three guys were there in the room. And me, it was just us for it. it was Alan Carr, the producer. Mm-hmm. Randall Kleiser, the director. Legend. And Mr. Alan, Carr's yeah, legend. Alan Carr is a legend. Oh, yeah, he's great. We saw a, uh, Steve and I just watched a documentary on him the other day. He was a wonderful Ooh. guy. He died way before his time. It's sad. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other was Joel Thurman, the casting director. So I had, you know, four lines or something. I go, hi, it's Eugene, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, while I did my lines, I saw them nudging each other. They nice. kept nudging each other with their elbows. And I knew that was a good sign, mm-hmm. you know. So anyway, I did the grease roll. They had me read it over a couple of times. And, you know, there wasn't much lines. There wasn't many lines. And I'm, right. Maybe they interviewed me, and talk, but I kept seeing them nudge each other. So that was the good sign. So a couple of days later, my agent, Regina called. he said, you got the role in grease. So I called my family. I'm hysterical. You know, this is before Facebook. Obviously, Facebook sure. is on Facebook, social media. But I called my family and all my friends that I had their numbers. I called them <clears throat> and told them, you know, I'm going to be in this movie called Greece with John T. Walton and Olivia Newton-John. I was over the moon, you know. Anyway, a few days later, this is the story that it's either a very religious story or it's a very great break I got. You interpret it however you want. But a couple of days later, my agent said I got bad news. The Eugene role is not that important. They said they're writing you out of the film. So of course, I wanted to put a gun to my head, you know. So I wanted to kill myself. <laughs> what am I going to do? You know, I just I'm in this movie now. This so they really pulled the rug out from under me. So my agent said, "What we're going to do is we're going to go to church and light candles and pray." So she comes over to my house. Literally, I, I'm Jewish. I'd never been to a church sure. in my life. So we went to a church. We lit the candles literally on the altars and we prayed. I said, "Please let me get the back That please, dear God, let we literally prayed. Anyway, I swear to God, it's a true story. Two or three days later, they called my agent and put the role back in. So she said, you're back in Greece. Now, again, my religious friends all go, that's a religious story. You should believe in God. And my atheist friends or my non-believer friends go, you got a lucky break. It's just a coincidence. So people can take that story however they want, but it's a true story. Lighting the candles did change. That changed my life. That was a big turning point in my life too. Now, just to correct my story, just make sure you get the truth. I had gone to church earlier. I had a lady friend named Mrs. Kelly. We'd go to church and pray. And I remember I'd prayed at a church. That was the first time I'd been to church. But I hung out with her the days before I ever found, got any jobs. Like, this is, it took me two years to get Greek, So yeah. I would pray at this church. It was called Our Mother of Good Counsel Church. It's still there. It's on, uh, not Melrose, but it's on a st- Vermont Avenue on Greek, on uh, Hollywood, off Hollywood and Vermont Avenue. You can still find it off Vermont Avenue there in Hollywood. You want to see that church. It's a beautiful church.
1: So what were you doing in those two years, just hustling?
0: Yeah, just trying, you know, trying to get a job. I got the gong show. Oh, yeah, and I did my first stand-up. I performed at the comedy store in, comedy in store. Hollywood twice, and I went to Westwood once. That was, uh,
1: was that Bud's? I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, well, okay. Mitzi, Mitzi Shore Mitzi, yeah. Mitzi. Mitzi. Mitzi did Shore. the, uh, Mitzi, okay. Yeah, the yeah. mother of uh, Polly. Polly, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I performed there twice, and I did really good. And she said, we'd like you to try in Westwood. She said, you're really funny. So mm-hmm. I went to Westwood, and I bombed. And I was never comfortable in stand up, so I just stopped after that. But I did it three times and I uh, just never did good. It's a tough thing. Yeah, it's very (laughs) tough. I'd come on and they go, da da da, plaza, plaza, plaza. Sure, but will you respect me in the morning? That was my big opening line. Hopefully I get a laugh. But in Westwood, I got crickets, you know, crickets pretty much all the way through. You know. But I remember I saw Jimmy Walker there. Jimmy Walker was there one night. We went to the comic Mm -hmm. store before I performed. When I first came to Hollywood, like we went there like the first week I was there. My friend Mike and I, he came out with me Mm -hmm. and we saw Jimmy Walker there. He was like the first real star I saw. You know, Jimmy Walker was the rage and he was like the biggest comedian. Yeah. there.
1: Yeah. So um, you get Grease, obviously huge film. But you also got a movie that I love called Laser Blast. Oh, okay, a a Charles (laughs) Charles Band production. Yes, I, I, I own the special edition DVD that came with the little dinosaur alien. Um, Okay, (laughs) I'm a little too big of a weird aliens, weren't they? It was so it's so weird and so delightfully low budget. Um, What what was it like? Because you you shot you did Grease first and then Laser Blast. Laser Blast yes. was released first. Yes. But um, what yeah, was it like a, going this... from this huge budget to a Charles Band production? Yeah, just to
0: clarify for you, the mm-hmm. order, Dylan, it was uh, I filmed Grease first, then I did Laser Blast, then I did I Want to Hold Your Hand. Mm-hmm. Different degrees of greatness and whatever. I mean, you could call whatever. You could, you're, everybody has their own opinion on movies, but anyway, I did film Grease, then Laser mm-hmm. Blast, then I want to hold your hand. But they were released laser blast i want to hold your your hand so there's some confusion but greece was my first movie but laser blast was my first movie to be released march 1st 1978 boy was i proud but anyway we went from greece by the way greece was it looks like you know it's this juggernaut one of the biggest films in history it's a classic Mm -hmm. and it looks like it cost you know what 300 million because movies now are 100 million 200 million greece we did for a budget of six million which is you know pretty rock bottom it was very low budget for a major studio release and, you know, it, it's got to be one of the most profitable moves. It's probably made half a billion to this day. You oh, know, easily. That's that's the United <clears> States. That's domestic. Probably, you know, worldwide is probably a billion dollar thing. So whatever. Anyway, laser blast was Greece. We were treated very well. We You know, we eat in the commissary, even mm-hmm. though I was in a little trailer. We were all in a little trailer. John and Olivia were probably were in luxury, but we were all in our own trailers, So it was mm-hmm. kind of cool. But Laser Blast, we all shared one big warehouse. You didn't even dress in class. We all dressed and they kind of covered you up. So we got <laughs> into wardrobe and in our underwear and they kind of held up a sheet over you so they couldn't see the other, you know, so the women couldn't see you. I would have turned on all the girl cast members and the ladies. <laughs> I had a crush, I remember. We had a, uh, the script girl was a lady named Betty Goldberg. I don't know if she's still around, but I had a huge crush on her. I just loved her. She was my first movie crush. She was so pretty. She had dark hair, but I worked on Laser Blast for three days. Kim Milford, the lead guy, sadly Mm -hmm. he died of AIDS. I think. Yeah,
1: he did. Yeah,
0: he was a nice guy, and um, yeah. And uh, what else do I remember, Lace, But oh yeah, we uh we all ate on uh, apple boxes. Greece, we had a commissary. You know, you go to the Paramount commissary. Greece was so (laughs) or Paramount. I'm sorry, Laser Blast was so low budget, we ate on Apple box. They gave us, you know, a sandwich or something and we (laughs) ate on Apple box. And I thought, what a come down from Greece. But I saw, you know, that's where I learned lesson. you know, films are varying degrees. They're varying degrees Mm -hmm. of how much, what kind of a budget you have. You do a movie, you know, with uh, whatever, Bob Hope or, you know, a star, mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe, or, you know, I'm going to the, the old past, you know, sure, nowadays, sure. of course, it's Robert De Niro or whatever you put, you know, you get a big budget film, you're going to eat in a commissary, you're going to be treated, but you can do low budget films and you eat on Apple box, you go mm-hmm. to and eat it, it's, you know, your dressing room going to be a trailer. There's all kinds of movies, and that's kind of the beauty of movies. There there are, and occasionally you get these great low-buddy films that were made for half a million. Mm -hmm. Some of these great Humphrey Bogart, James Canko, they were made for a budget of less than a million dollars. Yeah, I was writing about it on Facebook, and these great movies stay with you for the rest of your life. Nowadays, you'll have these great CGI films you know, ostensibly great CGI films made for two hundred million dollars, and you forget them the next month. You don't remember You're anything right. about. It. That's how I am. Yeah, I'm not. I don't like these superhero films. They do nothing for me.
1: Me, so, same thing.
0: Yeah, budget means nothing to yeah. how great the film is, or how much it stays in your heart and in your mind. Yeah, you know, and in your spirit for the rest of your life.
1: It's I, I'm, and I, I talk about it a lot on here, but I look for for a singular film. I like a movie that is, is can't be recreated. Laser Blast yeah. is one of those. Nobody will ever capture the low budget magic of a movie like laser laser blast. It's the plot is strange. The the effects are are just awful, but yeah. so <laughs> much fun to watch. It's just so much Thank fun you. to watch. No, I have um, to
0: ask you. Dylan, did you see the Mystery Science Theater version of it? Oh, yeah. I've
1: seen that, too. Yeah. Yeah, they actually.
0: I I like both. It's a movie. It's not my favorite. But the Mystery Science Theater version, I love. It is hysterical. And I always recommend fans, if you do like Laser Blast or if you want to see it, I always recommend Mystery Science Theater. Yeah. I think that's the one time Mystery Science Theater did one of my movies, and I I was flattered, and it was they are so funny. It's genuinely funny. It's hysterical.
1: Yeah, they turned your name into a verb. Yeah, Yeah.
0: exactly. Laser (laughs) blast is the other strange thing is it's the only movie I die in. Literally, I get, you know, I get blown up. up, Yeah, yeah, I think it's the only movie I literally die in my character. I I play, you know, a rapist in that movie. It's it's pretty gnarly.
1: Yeah, it's a that's a it's a weird scene. Yeah. <laughs> I remember to this
0: day being directed by Michael Band and I I was stood up on a bed and he goes, Jump, mm-hmm. do a froggy jump. And they did several takes. I jumped on the girl. You know, Chuck is wrestling around with the girl. Mm-hmm. Whoever the guy that's played Chuck, he was a super nice guy. Um, they were wrestling around up yeah. and I jump on top of him. And he goes, Do a froggy jump. Nah, do a froggy jump. Okay, jump like froggy. And I remember doing those takes.
1: <laughs> that's good. And you were three days on that one? Three days I worked on that movie, yeah. Yeah, that's my kind of movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, well, let's talk a little bit about "I Want to Hold Your Hand" also. Yes, uh, interesting. Yeah, that's film. coming up.
0: The anniversary is coming up. Uh, in what is it? Today is the twelfth. The anniversary is coming up in nine days, April twenty-first. To wow. this day, that's my um my favorite film of mine and my favorite performance of mine because I was playing myself. I just that's the film that's yeah. closest to Eddie D's. They go, "What film is closest to me? That's me. I'm I'm a Beatles, not. And that's how I really am about the Beatles. And I think it's the best performance I've ever done in film with with all false mo- without false
1: modesty. It's you know? so much fun. Um yeah, it was your you. it was your first of several films you did with Nancy Allen. I love is, Nancy. Yes. Oh, I she's love the just cast. wonderful.
0: I loved the cast. Everybody was wonderful. The crew was wonderful. It was Wendy Jo Sperber,
1: who Wendy sadly died too young. Partner. She best was the so best partner I
0: ever had. Wendy Jo oh, was sure. a delight. She left us way before. Way got. too early. He passed away while I was doing Polar Express. I was so sad. Oh. We heard the news. And um, and Bob Zemeckis, you know, of course, my favorite director, who I mm-hmm. later he remember, knew me from I Want to Hold Your Hand and later wrote me in to the Polar Express, which oh, he's cool. the finest director I've ever worked with. And, you know, Stephen was on the set a lot when we did I Want to Hold Your Hand. We would kibitz and chat on the set. He Mm -hmm. was on, he was there a lot around. I'll tell you a Steven Spielberg story the day I made Steven laugh. And I think I created this joke, I swear. You've heard variations of the show before, but I think this was the first time I was ever used on film or in a TV show. There's the scene where Dick Miller gets me in the room and he goes, there you are, you little shit. Or he goes, now I got you, little shit. Can I curse on your show? Oh, Yeah. Say yeah, whatever goes, the fuck. Now I got you little shit. And I make, I thought of the line. I go, Stephen, Stephen and I were just giving and alone. We were walking like, and I go, I'm gonna say the line, who you calling little? You know, in other words, <laughs> instead of being offended at shit, I get offended at little. Now, in those days, that was a big laugh. It was fun. To this day, I think it'll be not that big a joke because the joke and its phrase have been done many times. Mm-hmm. And they go, Hey, there you are, you 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 know, you goddamn whore. And she goes, Who you calling goddamn, you know, a yeah. version of that. But I that Stephen broke up. And he walked up to Bob Zemeckis and he goes, Eddie's going to use this line. And he goes, show him, Eddie. And I did the line. Bob laughed. And that line is in the movie. That's yeah. the one line I wrote in the movie. But anyway, that's when I made Stephen laugh. It was cool making Steven Spielberg laugh. That was just, it was very cool. That's great. Stephen helped. He was like, you know, he was a mentor to Bob's next. And he would, he wasn't there every day, but he was mm-hmm. on the set several times and he would give Bob advice and they would chat together and try to get the scene straight. Anyway, we did the uh, promotional tour of uh, I Want to hold him. Bob didn't go. I, I don't think Bob went on this, but Stephen did go. Stephen took us on the tour. Bob might've been there, but I remember Stephen there, you know, we were having lunch in New York and they put us up at the Plaza Hotel where the Beatles stayed, it was really mm-hmm. cool. And we, you know, we're interviewed by the press and all that. And uh, I remember Stephen taking us out to dinner and he was saying, you know, stuff, this film's going to do great and all. And I remember they had the premiere party afterwards. John Belushi was there, Dick Cavett, uh, Gilda Radner was there. I remember wow. she smiled at me. She was just leaving the party. And I remember I said, hi. And she gave me the most beautiful smile I've ever had in my life. She, did, she just smiled. <laughs> Excuse me. And it was so magical, just her smile. And I saw what a beautiful person she was just by that smile. I could see what a beautiful person she was.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And wow. I sat
0: down. That's where I met John Belushi. He's,
1: He's later been, worked with. Sip.
0: I later worked with him the next year in, in 1941, but mm-hmm. he was sitting alone on a piano stool at the party and he had seen, I want to hoard it. And I went down, I just sat by him. High, and we just, we chatted for about 15 minutes. We talked about metaphysical stuff. We talked about religion, metaphysical stuff. He was, really? he was deeply serious i go you know i love that line on saturday night light where you go but no he had in those days he had to catch crazy he go you yeah. go you couldn't talk about this I remember it was on the news board. yeah go, but no yeah. and i said that was really funny and he goes and he literally he goes do you really like that and i go yeah i thought it was funny he like he seemed surprised that i liked it so i don't know it, it was weird sam you know mm-hmm. and yeah we worked the next year in on 1941 but i i loved him from the word go I love John from the word He was just the dearest, nicest man. I saw Wired, you know, and I read the book Wired and it's mm-hmm. nothing like the John I knew. The John I knew yeah. was a gentleman. And of course he did do drugs, but I didn't see that side of him. I'm sure there were supposedly a lot of drugs on the 1941 set, you know, supposedly mm-hmm. there, there were tons of drugs, but I didn't see it all from him. Or I don't know if Dan Acker was in it, but I didn't see drugs from anybody, not from John Candy or John or anybody. They were all oh. totally professional.
1: Well, that's good. Well, um, you brought him up. So we got to get there, Dick Miller. Uh, obviously I'm a fan that That was a little Eddie Deez for you part two will be up in a couple of weeks hope you enjoyed that he's got a lot of great stories and more to come never a bigger Beatles fan have I met Uh, be sure to check out Scarlet Lane Brewing especially if you're in the Indianapolis area they've got five locations for you to check out they're the official beer of horror While you're there or anywhere you go, be sure to take care of your servers because this is the Walter Paisley Movie House and we do not piss on hospitality. Talk to you next time.